Hi there, welcome back to Sunday School. I'm Mike Stedham. This week we're going to talk about something that Jesus did not talk about very often, and that is the church. Now you would think that in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you would probably hear a lot of talk about the church. Actually, and this kind of surprised me when I started looking at this week's lesson, Jesus only uses the word church twice in the Gospels, and uh, both of them are in the book of Matthew. We're going to talk about one of those instances today. Now, a lot of scholars, of course, believe that when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God and the thing that's going to happen, the institution on earth, he's referring in one way to the church. But actually, the use of the word church uh, is only found in a couple of places, and we're going to look at those, or one of those, today. We're in the book of Matthew, we're in the 18th chapter, and Jesus has just finished talking about uh, how happy God is when people come back to God. He's uh, given the example of the shepherd who lost one of his sheep and, uh, of course, spends all the time looking for it, and the rejoicing that the shepherd feels when the sheep is returned to the flock. So this is the topic that uh, he's been talking about. And beginning with the 15th verse of the 18th chapter of Matthew, he's going to talk about the way that people get lost from their fellowship with their fellow Christians. And this is the analogy that, that we have today. We're in the 18th chapter of Matthew. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. Now, one of the facts about life in uh, the church, life in general, is that we're going to have disagreements. And the church, being an institution of human beings, is not immune from people having disagreements, from people doing the wrong thing, people uh, taking advantage of us, those kind of things. We like to think this is not going to happen to us, but unfortunately, being human beings, we are flawed, and we're going to do the wrong thing sometimes. And sometimes people are going to do the wrong thing to us. And the question becomes, then, how do we deal with these problems? If somebody sins against me, this person has done something to harm me, to, to uh, perhaps slander my name or something like that, how am I supposed to deal with this? Now, Jesus does not envision a church that has uh, a particularly big hierarchy. He, he sees it more like the synagogues of his day, which is how the Jews had organized themselves, especially those who were not in Jerusalem, those who did not have access to the temple worship. But they would weekly meet at the synagogue, and they would have their uh, form of congregational fellowship in that way. Well, what would be the ultimate rule? Who would make the decision that uh, something has happened and uh, needed to be fixed? Well, Jesus has always sort of cut through to the chase here to the simplest answer, and that is if you've got a problem with somebody, you go talk to them about it. This is not always easy. Impulse when somebody wrongs us often is to go and tell everybody else. And this, I think one of the reasons why Facebook has become so popular is it's a place where we have a lot of grievances. Uh, there are friends of mine on Facebook, you probably have some of the same friends, who 
as soon as uh, they have a problem with somebody, instead of going to that person, they're going to be putting pictures and saying things about that on Facebook. That, that's just the latest manifestation of the basic human nature. Jesus saw these conflicts very differently than many of us do. And he says you should just go to the person and let's talk about the problem. What, what has this person done that has uh, hurt you or how have they sinned against you? And we're hoping nine times out of ten that just talking to this person is going to resolve the issue. If this happens, you have basically won your brother over. Okay, well, that happens in some cases, but not every time. So Jesus continues, verse 16. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, this is actually based on the uh, teaching in the Hebrew Bible, the book of Deuteronomy, where people were expected to, uh, if they had a dispute and they were going to go to uh, some higher authority, it can't just be one person's word against the other. Uh, we certainly know that that is not the way to resolve issues. You, you need to have this triangulation. You need to have at least two or three people uh, to verify what you have said and what the other person has said. In the absence of a formal court system, this is long before uh, that kind of thing had been established, just the idea that two or three people would uh, then constitute kind of an authority in this kind of thing. So basically, Jesus says, try to work it out between the two of you. If that doesn't work, then take a couple of more people along as witnesses just to make sure that everybody has a chance to speak. And also then when uh, the issue becomes a larger one, you have people who can confirm what it is you said and what the other side has said. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now, many churches today use these verses as a way to justify their disfellowshipping, their excommunication, whatever the particular denomination calls it, but basically saying this person is no longer a part of our group of Christians, of our family in the faith. And uh, again, some biblical scholars believe that these verses perhaps were inserted later because uh, by the time the book of Matthew is written, the church has been established and they are having issues with people who are uh, going through things like this. And so perhaps they took some of the other teachings of Jesus and extrapolated a bit on what Jesus would have said about the institution of the church. And the wording is really interesting because the kind of disfellowshipping, excommunication that Jesus says, treat them as if he were a pagan or a tax collector. Of course, the irony here is, well, let's look at the life of Jesus, what we know about it from the Gospels. How did he treat pagans and tax collectors? Well, he sought them out. He spent time with them. That was one of the great criticisms that Jesus faced during his earthly ministry. He's sitting down and eating with the publicans and the sinners. Uh, 
he did not take himself away from these people. He actually reached out to them. So, in a way, if you read this literally, Jesus is telling us, if we're supposed to behave the way Jesus did, to reach out to these people, not to give up on them, not to push them away, but to try to pull them back. And I think this is probably a healthier way of looking at, uh, at these passages. But then he goes on to talk about a universal truth for us as Christians. What is this power, this fellowship that we have within the church? Beginning with verse 18. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on the earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, these verses sound familiar because just a couple of chapters earlier, Jesus has given one of his apostles, Peter, what we call the keys of the kingdom, this, this kind of authority. But now Jesus is talking about not just an individual within the church, but the church itself having this authority. If the Christians work together, binding, which means uh, to reject some, some kind of practice, the saying that is not what we do, or loosing, uh, loosening it, that is basically giving it uh, our approval. So basically, the church is given a lot of authority here by Jesus uh, to make these decisions. The church, of course, is an earthly institution. It's uh, not a perfect place because, well, those of us who are in it aren't perfect people. That's going to be a fact of life. But we do have principles to follow. And finally, Jesus concludes this particular portion by saying, Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything and ask for it, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. So this is where the church eventually draws its authority. The authority comes directly from Jesus himself. The second part of today's Sunday School lesson comes from the book of Hebrews, and it continues the same idea about the church and how it represents a perfection of the earlier institutions that the Hebrews had been given by God. They had certain restrictions, certain earthly organizations, and now we're going to look at how, in the mind of the writer of Hebrews, that the newer organization, the newer way of dealing with God, is superior, is better than what had existed previously. And in the mind of the author of the book of Hebrews, the improvement of this really starts with the fact that we have a better sacrifice. Now, of course, Hebrew worship was largely based on animal sacrifice. God asked the people to give certain things to provide certain things in order to be worthy of then being receiving the forgiveness of God. In the mind of the writer of Hebrews, this perfect sacrifice has now been given by Jesus himself. So, as we saw in the book of Matthew, when Jesus gives his authority to the people of the church, he can do that because he himself becomes that sacrifice. And so, this passage we're going to look at, we're in the 10th chapter of Hebrews, basically is also an encouragement. Just as Jesus was encouraging the people of the church 
whenever they had a problem with an individual member, to keep on trying to bring that person back into fellowship. Well, now the writer of the book of Hebrews is giving us this encouragement to hold the church together, beginning with verse 19 of the 10th chapter. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who is promised is faithful. So again, he's using the imagery of the Hebrew worship, and the priests were meticulous about washing themselves, about preparing the sacrifice. This was a major part of their worship and the, the uh, various parts of it, the rituals they went through, the cleansing, all of this. Well, the writer says we have a better way of doing this. We are cleansing our hearts, not just our bodies. And that pulls us together. This gives us a chance to have this fellowship with God, which was the point of the worship service that they had in the days of the sacrifice. And holding on to this, because Jesus, who gave us this promise, is indeed faithful. Now, we'll conclude with a couple of more verses here about pulling this body, this group, together. And let us now consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as the manner of some is, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So basically, uh, he's asking the church to hold together. Now, of course, in the very early days of the Christian church, they were facing a lot of persecution. Uh, they were facing family persecution for leaving earlier faiths, earlier uh, things that people held on to. And so they were isolated sometimes, and in many cases, from their family members. And they're also isolated from various other groups that are worshiping other gods and, and things like this. So there's this sense of having to sort of weather the storm together in this way. And people who are in situations like that need encouragement. Well, even today, even though we live in a country where a large number of people claim to be Christians and Christianity is the dominant religion, we still need encouragement. We still need to hold together as members of this body. Let's encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. The D in day here is capitalized in the uh, NIV because specifically in this case the writer is talking about the day of judgment, the day in which uh, it's all going to end, that God is going to restore uh, judgment to the people and God is going to come back. And they were looking forward to that day as something they expected to happen pretty soon. Uh, it's very clear from the writing in the New Testament that Paul especially was looking for the uh, second coming of Christ to happen uh, pretty much any day now. Of course, it's been 2,000 years, so the time scale uh, certainly uh, is off from that. But 
there's still this idea that we are in a finite place, that, that this current situation is going to end, and we need to be encouraging each other as we see the end coming, whether it's individually or the end of time itself, as they were looking at in the, uh, in the days of the New Testament. Either way you look at it, holding together, holding this organization together, because, as Jesus promised us, uh, in the first part of the, the lesson today, he will be with us when we meet together. When two or more are gathered, we actually have the presence of Christ, the authority of Christ, the blessings of Christ, the example of Christ is going to be there with us. Let's conclude with a word of prayer. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for the promise. Thank you for promising to be with us when we meet as a church for being with us as individual Christians. Help us to share that sense of your presence with those around us this week. In Christ's name, amen.